Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. The greatest thing that you can probably do for yourself is this. Be self-aware. You're like, what? Yes, be self-aware of your emotions. Be self-aware of who you are and how God has created you. Now, I've taken pretty much, I've taken every test there is possible underneath the sun because I am one who wants to further uh, be a better person. So I wanted to know, I even have a book sitting on my shelf right now in my office about self being self-aware and your blind spots. And I, I remember when I first started this journey, uh, I was I was just one of those guys that would was not really sensitive. Still not very sensitive, um, <laughs> but it explained why I wasn't sensitive. And I just when I would work with people, there was I didn't know this, but when I left, people would say this to me. You know, you made me cry. Go, what are you talking about? Yeah, I used to go home and cry a lot. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> like, thanks. Now you tell me that I'm leaving California, um, but. It, there was a, a pastor on staff that I worked with and he made me take this test and this test was really in depth about who I am and from physical needs to intimacy to everything, how God has wired me. And I remember, you know, there's, as I'm taking this test, there's one time a, another friend of mine in the office, I worked in a, in a big church and it's 11 staff pastors. And one of the pastors went like this to me. He goes, Hey, come here for a second. And the guy who took the test goes, you should never do that to him again. He goes, well, why? Because Joe doesn't like anyone telling him what to do. I go, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, you've taken your test, and one of your things is you don't like people telling you what to do. And my wife will be the first one to say that is true. Okay, I remember also going into, you know, when people would call my office, I would, you know, wait if if they were on hold, I'd have them wait. Um, because I didn't just like people tell me what to do. Now, I have gotten better, but that's how the Lord's wired me. That's it's just how, how he's wired me, and, and I've got to learn through all that. But he, he did that, and the other thing I don't like is I don't like the finger thing, but I also don't like this is I don't like suggestions. Just be black and white with me. Hey, you know, I really suggest you should do this. No, just be black and white with me. And um, see, suggestions don't always go well, do they? I mean, imagine you have a toddler. Hey, you know what, pal? I don't think you should touch the stove. Not a good idea. Like, it's not going to go over well, right? It's not going to go over well with, hey, I don't think you should do this. Or, hey, you know what? You should just quit. My suggestion is you should just quit. Don't You know what? Don't even finish well. Like, suggestions nobody really likes. But the thing about all of this is whether it's someone telling you what to do or somebody suggesting something for you to do. The reality is for all of us is this, that we all want control. We all want control. Okay. That's ultimately what you want. That's ultimately what I want. When I, someone, you know, gives me the finger and says, come here and I want you to do this now. Ultimately, I'm saying you're not in control of my life. So don't tell me what to do. Right. Unless you're my boss. But other than that, I mean, that's, that's really what it is. And so we have this, this from the beginning. Think about it. If you have a toddler, from the beginning, they're in control of their life, aren't they? Like, mom, dad, the struggle with you is, and the reason why when you have, when you, if you go back to your toddlers, is there's a struggle because they want what they want. 
right? It's their control. And then you go fast forward to teenagers. Do you remember getting in it with your parents? Right? You, of course you do. Like, you, no, mom, I'm not going to do that. No, you're not going to tell me what to do. And there's a lot of, lot of arguments that happen over what? Control. And kids don't want their parents telling them what to do. And matter of fact, I can tell you, some of you even thought this, well, when I get out of my house, then I can do whatever, you're, whatever I want. And maybe your parents said, well, good, go ahead. Right? And maybe you did leave. I don't know. But I know there's this sense of control that we all have. And see, it doesn't stop when you're in a teenager. It goes into your adult years. Right? You want control of your hours. That You, you want control of your pay. You want control of your finances. You want control uh, of your marriage. You want control of your kids. You want control of everything. And you can see, you can sit there and say, oh, no, that's not me. But deep down inside, yes, it is. It's all of us. To some sort of degree, we all want control. And see, even if it goes to that, then you come to a place where it's like, okay, you have this relationship with God, and the whole thing is what? It's a control struggle. Am I going to really allow God to do what he wants to do in my life, and am I going to relinquish control over to him? Or am I going to continue to have control where what I think I have is control? Right? So if I have control over my finances, if I have control over my marriage, if I have control instead of yielding to him. See, it's a complete control thing. And, and when we get into this, we, oh, we get in a relationship with Jesus and God, even as adults, you know what it is? We don't choose what is best, do we? I mean, I don't care if you're a kid or an adult. There are times where we don't choose what is best because sometimes waiting for God is too much trouble. Waiting for an answer or waiting for him to unveil his plan. So what we ultimately do is we say, no, 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 God, I can't wait any longer. I have to act now. I'm in control and I make decisions. And my decision is usually easier. It's quicker. And sometimes we think it's better. But if you put that all aside and you said, okay, well, well, today, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, I know God's way is probably the best. And if God's way is the best, then why do I settle? If I'm supposed to relinquish control to him, then why do I continue to struggle with it? And why do I continue to fight it? See, the, the thing about all of this is, is, is God's way the best way to live? Or is it just a suggestion? Because you can say it, you can say one thing out of your mouth, you can say, yeah, God's way is the best way to live, but on the other side of your mouth and your actions can prove something differently. And so today, that's kind of the overarching theme for today is because when you looked at the kings, and we're right in the, the middle of this in the ancient kings, in the time of ancient kings in the series, you begin to see something. And you begin to see these kings had choices to make. And look, we can sit here and we can say, oh, no, no, we don't, we, we're good, we're adults, we're all humans, and we can make wise choices. And we're not kids, and our, our frontal brain is not, you know, it's all there now, and, and we can really have wisdom and, and make good decisions. But if that were true, then why do we have regrets as adults? Why is it true? I mean, let's be honest. It's because even as adults, we make stupid decisions. And it's not just for kids who like are growing their, their frontal lobes so they can make decisions wisely and they, they do stupid th- things when they're young and they fall under peer pressure, but it is for everybody. Because believe it or not, all of us can come, even as adults, we can go through this week and we can say this, I wish I would not have done fill in the blank. I wish I would have treated that person better, but I didn't. I wish I wouldn't have said this behind their back, but I did. See, we all make terrible choices. And so it's not just this, when we're talking about wise choices, we're not just talking about kids, we're talking about everyone. 
because that's ultimately what was faced with the kings. And so when you look in the, in the scriptures and when you open up the, the chapter, and we're going to be in Chronicles today, chapter 32, but when you begin to, to see this in, in Chronicles and you begin to see things and you open up the scripture to kings, you see that they're faced with something. And here's the decision that they're faced, whether they are a teenager, whether they're an adult, or whether they're a little child when they become king. They're faced with this. Do I do my own thing or do I do God's way? Because the reality is, do I follow God's way or do I follow my own way? Because there was, there was something hinging on that. And what was hinging on that was not just their decision and their life, but the people that they were over, the people that they were leading as a nation. Because what would happen is, is if they determined to go their own way, then that's the way the nation would go. If they began to go the way of God's way, then that's the way the nation would go. So there's a whole lot of responsibility, whether you're a little kid coming onto the throne or whether you're an adult coming onto the throne. That's the th- decision they were faced. And so when you look at it, they came and you look at the, the kings and you look at Chronicles, you see this. And, and in Scripture, here's what it tends to say. It says, well, so-and-so did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Or so-and-so did what was right in the Lord. And so that was a choice. Do I do evil and do my own way or do I do God's way? And here's the, the, the thing about the Lord is when these kings made the decision, there was consequences. Because if you look at somebody who does their own way, if you look at the, in the chapters and in First and Second Kings and Chronicles, you'll see this, that God would either replace them, they would either be assassinated, he'd remove them, or they'd go up to captivity. If you were not following the way of the Lord. So ultimately, you were faced with, okay, so you have an evil king, God says, okay, you're evil. You've done what is detestable in the eyes of the Lord. I'm now going to remove you. So once he's removed, then what happens? You have another king that walks in. Now this other king sees what his predecessor has done. And again, he's faced with the decision. Do I do God's way or I do my own way? Because really, it's not just about him, it's about the rest of the people. And if you have family, and the thing is, is the decisions you make not just only affect you, but affects your wife, your husband, and your family. And so he's faced with all of this. And we come to this place, and now there's two kingdoms. Okay, so there's two kingdoms, and there's a kingdom in the north of Israel. Israel's really tiny, it's like two hours, right? Just two hours up and back. I mean, it is, it is tiny country. So it's in the north, there's a, there is um, a kingdom. In the south, there is a kingdom. And the reason why the kingdom split, because Rehoboam, remember, if you remember, he said, look, I'm going to not relieve you of taxes. I'm going to make it worse for you. So 10 of the tribes go up north. That's where we are. 10 of the tribes are north. Two of the tribes are in the south. So we're going to drop into the story, and you'll begin to see a, a tale of two kings here. And you will see in, in Chronicles chapter 33, okay, and we'll begin to see this. There's son, now Hezekiah is in charge of the south. Let me just give you this. He dies, and now Manasseh, his son, is going to come into uh, being king. So in Second, or Second Chronicles verse 33, here's what it says. Now Manasseh was 12 years old. There it is again. Doesn't matter what age. Okay, he's 12, he becomes king, and he reigns in Jerusalem 55 years. Now, you're probably thinking, why would he become in at 12 years old? Like, when you're 12 years old and you're a male, you're right in the midst of puberty, right? I mean, you're thinking, okay, this guy's kind of goofy, he kind of can't think straight, he's 12 years old. 
But here's what you have to understand. The American culture and Hebrew culture is completely different. At the age of 12, a man is, uh, a boy is considered a man at the age of 12. So you are entering adulthood at 12 years old. They even have um, ceremonies, bar mitzvahs. If you go to Israel today, you'll see them at, at the wall. They come down and it is a celebration of boyhood now to manhood. So at 12 years old, he becomes king and he rules for 55 years. But is the 55 years prosperous? That's the question. So let's begin to look at it. He's got this responsibility. He's got to make wise choices. 12 years old. He has authority. He has power. And here's what it says in, in verse 2 of chapter 33. It says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There's that word again. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the detestable practices of all the nations of the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Now, I don't want you to miss this. He followed the detestable practices that the Lord had driven out before. He's not taking the nation forward. He's actually taking them backwards. Okay, so he's following all the idols and all the detestable practices of the ancient people that were there at that very moment before they got there. See, because Joshua would come in and he says, this is what God would say, Joshua, you're going to lead these people and you're going to conquer the land. But if you conquer the land, here's what you have to do. You have to wipe out these nations. And not only do I want you to wipe out the nations, you have to wipe out all of their idols, their detestable practices, their spirits. We got to just, you got to cleanse the land. Well, Manasseh, what he does is he turns toward these, these um, ancient uh, uh, detestable practices and he does it. So what Joshua had removed, he ends up bringing back. So what God has undone, he begins to just bring back, right? So God does this, clears the land, and Manasseh says, no, 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 this is what we're going to do. We're going to go backwards in time and bring all these detestable practices of the Canaanites and all these ites. So again, Manasseh, un, un, he, he begins to do something that God has done years ago, and he brings it back. But look how bad it really gets. So in verse uh, 33, I mean, chapter 33, verse 3, it says this, he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals, made Asherah poles. He bowed down to the starry hosts, and he worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, to the which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. So he rebuilds the high places, the detestable practices where these foreign gods were made that Hezekiah tore down. He builds them back up. And it says he does what? He goes, bows down to the starry host, not to the God that creates him, but he sets up these altars to Baal and the Asherah poles, which meaning he is not serving the one true God. He is now serving the Canaanite gods, the gods that were in that land beforehand. And then it says what? The temple. He takes the temple and he begins to build altars in the temple of the Lord. So again, he takes these Canaanite gods, puts them in the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord was a sacred place for God and God alone. That's where he resided. And now he takes all these gods and these foreign gods, puts them back and erects altars in the temple. So it's getting bad. And it said he even took a, a, a Canaanite fertility god and would place it in that temple. And they begin to do horrible acts in that temple. 
I mean, this is horrible. It, it says he was one of the wickedest kings ever. So as he does this, you can understand why God is getting angry. God's anger is aroused. It's like he's looking down and you're going, what are you doing with my people? I've entrusted you with a group of people. Now you're taking them back. They're not worshiping me. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. You've, you've just basically undone everything I have done. And again, look how bad it gets. It doesn't stop there, believe it or not. Here's what it says in Chronicles 33, 6. He sacrificed his children in the fire at the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced divination in witchcraft, sought omens, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Just pause right there for a second. Can you imagine going against God so much that you're willing to sacrifice your own children to a God who doesn't even exist. How evil is that? Murder his own kids for the sake of these Canaanite gods. And not only that, but he's seeking power through these spiritists, through divination. He's seeking power. He's seeking control. And he's seeking the future and going through these consulted, these mediums and these spiritists. So you can see where this is going. You can completely see where this is going for Manasseh. This is not going good. I mean, if you were in Manasseh's life, you'd be like, warning, warning, warning. I'm not suggesting you anything. This is what you need to do, Manasseh. Because Manasseh takes it and it says it's detestable in the eyes of the Lord. And see, when he got detestable in the eyes of the Lord, there was only one thing that the Lord could do. Punish him. That's it. He's gone so far off the deep end, he's sacrificing children that, you know what, the only thing God can do is punish him. And so what the Lord does is he brings down a Syrian king down, begins to wipe out, take over Manasseh, takes him back to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, and something happens with Manasseh when he's there. And when Manasseh is there and he's in captivity, his heart changes. Okay, his heart changes, he humbles himself, and he begins to humble himself before the Lord. Comes back, he's, he's allowed to rule, and he, what he does is he takes down the, the temple, he takes down the, the practices in the temple, and he says, Lord, I'm sorry, and totally repents. Manasseh dies, and now his son comes into to play at 22. Manasseh was 12, his son comes in at 22. And his son is faced with a decision. What's the decision? Do I do God's way? or I do my own way. Now, I saw what my dad did, and my dad was horrible, but I can choose to go the other direction. And what do you think he does? He does what his dad did, even worse. And so what happens is, is the king's, uh, uh, the king's people, what they did was they overpowered him. They, the king's officials assassinated him, and then they dubbed this little king, this little boy at eight years old, named Josiah. Now you got this boy at eight years old who's going to come, Josiah, and again, he's faced. Again, kings have all this responsibility, and at eight years old, he's going to say, do I go God's way or do I go my own way? And so here's where it picks up Josiah. He comes in two years later, and look, look, let's, what happens, let's see what happens to Josiah. It says, verse, 30, uh, verse 1 of chapter 34 of Second Chronicles, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Now, this is interesting. Go back to when you're eight years old. You, you laugh because you know what? You weren't thinking 
about making smart choices. At eight years old, I can guarantee you, you live a carefree life. Mom and dad having stuff or whatever. You're not worried about anything. And maybe, perhaps, you were just worried about what am I going to get for Christmas or my birthday? Or maybe it was a little tougher for you. I, I don't know, but I can tell you this. You're not thinking about all this responsibility of being a king and everything that comes with it. So at eight years old, again, it doesn't matter what, what age you come in as a king. Your decision is God or my own. And at, so at age eight, he has to make the, the, this decision. He has this total responsibility not only of, him, of his decision at eight, because let's be honest, kids at the age of eight know what is right and wrong. And kids at the age of eight should be held responsible for their actions. So Josiah, at, even at the age of eight, being a young little boy, he still knows what's right and knows what is wrong. And he watched the predecessors, I'm sure, or, or heard, whatever. And here's what Josiah does. So here's, he begins to be known as the greatest king or one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. And here's what he does. Verse 2, he did what is right in the eyes of the Lord, and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside from the right or the left. So think about that. At the age of eight, you made a decision. I know David is the greatest king. I saw Hezekiah, and now I am going to choose to follow in the ways of those men, and they followed God. So even at the age of eight, he made a decision. I am going to do this. Now, if you think about it too, he is responsible for his decisions and at the age of eight, knowing what is right and wrong, he chose what is right. It wasn't a suggestion, hey, you know what, Josiah, I think you should just, you should just follow God. No, it's like, I am clearly going to follow God. And so here's what ends up happening. Again, he's faced with choices. Now he becomes responsible because now eight years later, something happens to Josiah. And here's what it says. In the eighth year of his reign, verse, verse three, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Now, so he's eight plus eight. Now he's what? 16. And 16 is usually a junior in high school. So he's, imagine, he's 16, and we would say a junior in high school. He's been king for eight years, and I'm sure he had great people around him. I'm sure he had great people speaking into his life at the age of eight. But ultimately, when he became this young man, he had to make a decision. And his decision was this. I am going to follow in the footsteps of my father, David. And that was probably the best decision he ever made. And at 16, it was a decision that it wasn't somebody else's. He, he said, okay, I am going to do this. That I'm going to follow in the ways of the Lord. I'm going to pursue. I know what is at stake for this kingdom. I know what is at stake for my life. I'm a young man and I'm 16, but I'm still going to make the decision to follow God wholeheartedly. I'm not going to turn to the right. I'm not going to turn to the left. I see what happened to Manasseh. It didn't work. I saw what happened to, to other people. I've heard uh, of David, who, who was a great king, who lived, made a mistake, but he was a great king, a man after God's own heart. So I'm going to establish myself as a man, as a 16-year-old boy, young man, that I'm going to live that way. And if we're honest, that is still a tough decision for adults. But this young man at the age of 16 knew that God's way was not a suggestion. But he knew that was the best thing for his life. And he began to follow. And so he begins to do something. So seeking God was the first thing he did in his life. And he never, he never went back from that promise. And then look, so he's 16, he goes from 8 to making a decision, having people around him, I'm sure, 
counseling him. 16, a junior in high school saying, I've got to make this decision. I don't know many juniors in high school that say, hey, I'm going to serve the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. This is a rare, even for that day. And now let's fast forward to, to right after verse 3. Now he's 20 years old. And look, he begins to make adjustments. And so in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, Asherah poles, and idols. Now think about this. He's 12 years. When he is 20 years old, he begins to have a campaign to rid idolatry in the land. That Canaanite idolatry now has to go. He says Manasseh brought it back. He he got rid of some of it, but now I've got to purge this land. God wants to consecrate this land, bring it back for him for his own. So he goes, this is what I have to do. And so what he began to do is he broke down those poles, it says, and he scattered the ashes on graves because he believed that the graves were just as guilty as the people who were inside of them. So he's making a declaration to the Lord. Lord, I am sorry for what has happened. I'm going to tear down all this wickedness and let it be on their heads and on these graves and on the people who live in these graves. It is their problem. And Lord, I pray you'd forgive us and we repent of everything that has gone on before us. A young man at the age of 20. And then so he begins to rid the whole nation. And here's what it does. He continues to do some unusual practices. In verse 5 of Second Chronicles 34, he says this. He burned the bones of the priests on the altars. He purged Judah and Jerusalem in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Naphtali and the ruins around them. He tore down the altars and the Asherah poles, and he crushed the idols to powder and cut into pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. So he burns the bones on the altars again and saying, these priests are guilty of what they committed. And Lord, I am sorry for what they've done. And so he begins to place the ashes and their bones on this and saying, they are guilty. And then he begins to go through, it says Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon. He goes all the way to Naphtali, all the way up to the north. So he's in the south. He goes all the way up to the north and purges the whole entire nation of Israel and gets rid of all idolatry. Now, why would he do that? Because Manasseh didn't. Okay, Manasseh, what he did, yeah, he repented from the Lord, but down in the southern kingdom, all the, the only thing that Manasseh did was this. He only got rid of half the idols in the temple. He didn't do it on the outside all the way up to the north. Or the south. He did it was just in the temple in the south. So he goes up there. Now again, they're under captivity under rule of Babylon, but he goes up there and whether they knew he was doing that or not, they allowed him to do it. Maybe they just thought, oh, it's just for the good, it's for the good of the of the land. Just let Josiah do that. It doesn't matter what they thought or what why they allowed him to do it, he did it. So he tears all this stuff down, all the, the idols, and he begins to make the land back and give it back to the Lord. At 20 years old. And here's what he begins to do. Okay? His decision was, was so profound. Let me say this. Josiah, basically, when he went through this campaign, here's what he stated. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. We're not going to fall in the ways, in the wicked ways of this evil like the kings before. They thought it might have worked for them. It does not work for them. Enough is enough. And I'm going to turn around Starting with me, I'm going to turn around this nation because God's way is the way I need to go. 
Enough was enough for him. And he began to do that. So he repaired the damage that came upon that nation during that time and began to turn that nation to have a heart towards their heavenly father. And God began to do something in the nation when Josiah was king because it was all by his decision. Blessing flowed out of his obedient decision. Now, here's what it says. His, his rule was so profound in his decision, here's the impact he had on the nation. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the territory belonging to the Israelites. He had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God, and as long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He removed all of them, every single thing, and here's what he said. The leadership, he basically would announce this to everyone. God's way is the best way. Say, don't forget that. Don't forget that God's way is the best way. And so for some of these kings, here's what they learned. They learned an experience that I'm faced with this decision. And when Josiah became king, and if you look through Josiah's life, here's what Josiah, how he would sum it up for you and sum it up for me. And we know this, but yet we can say it and we can do one other thing and we can live a different life. But this is what he said, and this is what came and resonated through his life, that God's way is not a suggestion. It's the best for your life. And see, sometimes we take God and his word and we think, okay, yeah, Lord, that's just a suggestion. I don't really need to do that. No, it's not. God doesn't have suggestions. His commands. And he wants you to be obedient. He wants me to be obedient because obedience is, is preceded or followed by blessing. Excuse me, it is followed by blessing. And that was Josiah. That God's way wasn't a suggestion. It was actually the best for his life. And see, this is the thing about Josiah. It didn't matter when he made a decision to follow God. The fact is, he did. At the age of eight, yeah, he decided to follow David, follow Hezekiah, but he could have stopped at 16. Right? He could have stopped. And we like to say it all the time, oh, teenagers are rebellious. He could have rebelled as a teenager. He could have gone a different way, but he knew there was something about the Lord and there was something about the way of the Lord, his plan and his purposes for his life. And he knew what was best for his life. And he said, I'm not going to stray from that. And yeah, I'm growing into a young man and I'm going to be 16. Now I'm going to be 20. And now I'm going to really purge this land. But at any time he could have said, no, 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 this is not for me. But see, the thing about, the thing about Josiah was he wasn't interested in God. He was fully in fully engaged and fully committed to God and his ways. And see, maybe you're sitting here today and we're talking about this. And for some of you, see, you, you can sit there and you have a choice to make. And for some of us, it doesn't matter if this is your time back in the church or you've been in church your whole entire life. And you can tell me every Bible story there is up and down. But the sheer fact is this. You can still come to church day in, or week after week, and you cannot be committed the way Josiah was committed. See, for some of us, and there's, and there's people sometimes, and maybe you're, just, you're here, but there's a difference between being interested in God and committed to God. There's a difference between being interested in God's ways and committed to God's ways. See, there's a, there's a difference because interest just captures your attention. Commitment is you're fully engaged. And see, you're not fooling anybody, you're not fooling anybody, you might be fooling us, but you're not fooling God. And he knows who's interested, and he knows who's committed. 
And there are times in my life, I can, I'll be honest with you, I've been interested in God. But if I want the best for my life, it's not a suggestion. God wants me to be fully committed to him and his ways. And it might not make sense for us, and it might be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, because we want control. But God's saying, I've got this. Let me unpack and, and my plan, relinquish control to me. So maybe you're, you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, well, for you, maybe God has lost his awe. Maybe he's lost his wonder in your life. See, because when you do something throughout a routine, sometimes it can get bland, right? Sometimes if you do the same thing over and over again at work, it's like, eh. And sometimes when you have a relationship with the Lord, it can get like it feels like it's just sputtering. And then you know what happens is, is he doesn't have a prominent place in our life and he doesn't have, he doesn't have precedence. He doesn't have first priority. And you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, well, well yeah, that's me. Well, if that's you, it, it, there's, a, there's a place where you're just kind of being interested in God. See, it's not really moving. It's not growing. And he wants you to be committed. And so out of Josiah's heart and his devotion for the Lord, his life changed and the nation changed. And for you and I, it's got to be our hearts and our devotion to one thing and one thing only, and that's him. And it doesn't matter if you're 40. It doesn't matter if you're four. It doesn't matter if you're 84. God is still looking for people who are going to be committed to his ways. And he's looking for people who are not going to just be interested but are actually going to live out what he's commanded so he can further his plans and purposes in the world. And that's what he did for Josiah. And see, <clears throat> you might be hesitant, though. I'm talking about this saying, well, you need to move from interested to committed, and you might be hesitant. And here's why you're hesitant. Because i got to give up something. i got to relinquish control. And right now my life is great. My life is great. Like I have my finances under control. My job's going good. My kids are going good. Life's going great. Why, why do I have to give up control? Why do I have to give up anything? Or some of us is like, if I have to be fully, like I like my relationship with God. I'm, I'm over here just chilling, doing my thing. And then if I need him, I just kind of go over and ask for him and he helps me out. See, here's the thing. Like, it, it's, okay, it's not okay just to be interested. God wants you to be committed. And see, being committed is going to give, you have to give up control. And sometimes you're going to have to give up things that you don't want to give up. And maybe some, for some of you, it's fear. It's fear of giving up. But here's the thing. Here's what God's saying over here. You're really not in control. You're really not in control of your life. Because anything could happen to your, your finances, your job, or any of that. And then what? You're going to start running back to him. And God said over here saying, if you would just give me control and stop just being interested in me, but if you'd fully engage in a relationship with me, here's what I want you to do. I can take control of your finances. I can, can take control of your marriage. I can take control over your, sibling, or your, your children. I can take control over your health if you would let me. Because believe it or not, God has the greatest plans for you and he has the greatest plans for me. But you can't be over here with one foot in and one foot out. And just obeying God when you want to obey and not being fully engaged and committed to him. So God wants to move you from interested. He wants you to move you to committed. And again, you could be in church your entire life and be in the, over here. And today God's saying, I want you to move over here. Because this is where, I, where he has for you. He has for me. He has for all of us to be engaged fully into what he has. So here's how you, what you have to do. 
in order to move from being interested into committed, here's what you have to do. You have to choose today to commit to God's way. That's it. You choose to commit to God's way. That's, that's simply all we have to do. Well, how do I do that? How do I choose to commit to God's way? Here's what you have to do. You have to pre-decide. That means ahead of time. When you wake up in the morning, here's what I did this morning, believe it or not. I said, okay, Lord, today I give you my day. I pre-decide ahead of time that I'm going to obey God. Because, Lord, there are things that are going to come, and I'm going to, going to want to do things that are not godly because I'm human like anybody else. Lord, I know there's, there's going to be dissension. I know there's a, I can pursue jealousy. I know I can pursue selfish ambition. I know I can pursue anger because that is the flesh. And if we're not careful, and if I'm not careful, we wake up not pre-deciding that we're going to determine to follow God or determine to follow his ways. I can tell you what, as a, as a dad and as a pastor and as a person, I can fall in the flesh real easy like anybody else. And I can lie, and I can bad talk, and I can do things that are not godly. But we need to do it ahead of time. And if you want to commit, this is what you say, God, I pre-decide ahead of time that I'm going to follow you today. God, I give you this day, and again, this is all you have to do this week. See what happens. Get up tomorrow and say, before you do anything, before you get out of bed, go, okay, Lord, I pre-decide to follow your ways today. And see what happens. I guarantee you that temptation will have a hard time overcoming you because you're under the Spirit of the Lord. Things will change. Your life will change. See, because when you think about it, it is living God's way is the best way. And we all know that. But we can say that, but our actions can do something completely different. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be a church that does that. And finally, let me just wrap it up with this. When you go to a wedding and you see the pastor up there and he's up there and you see the the the, the husband to be he's like enamored with the with his bride to be coming down and they get up on the on the stage and they turn and they're in love right they are in love like the interested think about this the interested part or the interested phase is left Right? They're coming to the altar committed. They're saying, I'm going to commit my life to you. I am fully in. See, no one gets up to the, no one gets up to the altar and goes, yeah, you know, I'm still just interested in you. Like nobody does that because it doesn't, it doesn't work. They're committed to each other. They're committed to a relationship. And see, that's kind of the picture for us as a church and us as followers of Jesus. We want to get up there and say, okay, God, I'm engaged. What do I need to do to be engaged? Lord, I'm no longer going to be interested. I'm no longer going to sit. I'm no longer going to, my relationship is going to grow and I'm going to be different. So Lord, help me to be engaged. And we do that when we pre-decide every day that Lord, I'm going to do your way. No matter what comes, I predecide that I'm going to choose to obey you today. Because it's not a suggestion. It's the best for your life. And he wants to unfold that in your, your work today, tomorrow, the next day, your family. He wants to unfold his plans and purposes for you. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.